Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to listen to your voice as you speak through your word. Please give us attentive minds and hearts, and may the timeless truths of this psalm speak to us afresh today, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. When was the last time that you felt shaken? A health scare of yourself or a loved one? A significant financial loss? A plummeting share market, maybe? An investment that proves to be misplaced? Uh, relationship problems, actual or threatened. Uh, a sporting catastrophe where your team is totally routed. As an Englishman, I'm all too familiar with that one. Uh, where did you turn? How did you cope with the stress or indeed the disappointment? And what did it reveal about how you deal with your fears and your anxieties? It's true to say that most people do not want to remain in a state of fear and anxiety. Of course, it's natural to want to move out of that. And the majority of people want to steer a course to once again find the peaceful and calm waters. But the question is, where do they turn to find it? In 1997, Paul Wilson, a meditation teacher, published a book called The Little Book of Calm. Well, it was something he wrote during a Zen seminar in Japan. And it was a publishing sensation. It sold two million copies, and it was translated into 24 different languages. It contains 160 pieces of advice as to how to deal with stress. Let me give you a flavor. Have calm thoughts. Picture calm scenes. Recall Calm sounds. Some of you are looking visually relaxed already. Uh, pretend it's Saturday. Or, or imagine each day is a holiday. Do one little thing that stimulates this holiday mood each day and then watch your worries fade away. There you have it. I'm sure it's available on Amazon if you want to go and check later. Uh, the Little Book of Calm. Sold two million copies. Now that is very revealing. Two million copies. Firstly, it's obviously connecting with a real felt need of people. People crave calm in their lives. But secondly, is it not quite sad? Two million copies of people reading this sort of trash? I mean, it smacks of desperation. It's clutching at straws. Say you're diagnosed with cancer or your child's being bullied at school. Does anybody really think that imagining that the day is a holiday is really going to help alleviate those sorts of stresses? Not really. Well, in stark contrast with that is the Bible's view of where we should turn for peace and calm. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Psalm 46 speaks of a confidence and a security in God in the midst of chaos, of calm in the chaos. Uh, it may have been written many centuries ago, but its message is absolutely timeless. It's true and it's needed for every generation. And it's a psalm, of course, which is treasured by many Christians for the comfort it offers in a tumultuous world. 
Uh, the psalm actually divides into three sections. Uh, the word selah at the end of verses 3, 7, and 11 indicates the, the breakup of the, the original. And so, over the next three weeks, we're going to look at the psalm in these three sections. And we're going to reflect together on its calming wisdom. So today, in the opening three verses, which is what we're going to look at today, we're going to see there are three themes, all to do with chaos, confidence, and calm. Now, firstly, chaos. Our world is falling apart. Secondly, confidence. God is our refuge. And thirdly, calm. We need not fear. So, chaos. Our world is falling apart. Uh, the psalm opens with this picture, doesn't it, of utter chaos. Uh, look again at verse 1 onwards to verse 2 and 3. Uh, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The earth quaking, uh, the mountains moving, the seas roaring, it's a description of cosmic upheaval. The earth is giving way. It's a process, if you like, of decreation, creation in reverse. It's like watching the video of creation with your finger on the rewind button. Order is returning to chaos. The mountains which rose from the sea on the third day are now sinking back into the sea from which they came. And everything which we would associate with permanence and stability is being Shaken. Uh, we've seen it in our day, have we not? How disturbing it is when the ground on which we live shakes. We've seen in recent years, haven't we? Earthquakes in Christchurch and more recently Nepal. And we've seen, have we not, the psychological trauma that people experience having lived through those situations. Uh, normal life depends on terra firma being firm. But now, that which should not be shaken was shaken for those people. And it shook the very foundations of their lives. What was the shaking? What was the chaos that the psalmist, the sons of Korah, were referring to? Uh, what was the original situation that God's people faced that prompted this psalm? Well, uh, the psalm was probably written on the occasion of the land of Judah being invaded by a foreign army in the 9th century B.C., you may have wondered what that first reading was all about. It may well be setting the context for this psalm. 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20. And it's a description of decreation, but it's not a literal earthquake. It's a picture of how the world of God's people seems to be collapsing around them. With the evasion of this foreign army, they face the loss of everything. Their property, their families, and ultimately, even their lives. And therefore, you see, the psalm has a timeless relevance, for our modern age is no less immune to crises, chaos, and uncertainties. Think of it, firstly, on a global level. Are there not an unending succession of crises that buffered our world? It keeps the news channels very busy. Uh, without them, they'd be out of a job. Uh, no sooner has one threat receded, when another takes its place. Uh, economically, uh, for the Australian share market and many share markets in the world, 
2016 has been one of the worst starts for maybe 25 years because of the renewed volatility due to uncertainties concerning the Chinese economy. Uh, uh, security threats, uh, terrorism now is reaching out into the heart of many cities into the world. And we've experienced that here in Australia and in Sydney. Uh, political uncertainties, the Mid Middle East is again a tinderbox. And at any point, something could happen there where the ripples expand out and affect all of us. We live in a world of great uncertainty and in many ways, instability. But it's not just at a global level, of course. This is also true at times at a personal level, is it not? Because sooner or later, it's likely our lives will be hit by troubling turbulence. When you lose your job, when you face the loss of a loved one through bereavement, when a relationship breaks down, when some of the familiar supports we enjoy are taken away, when we receive a shock diagnosis. What do we say at such times? Do we not say, my world is falling apart. My world is coming down around me. Can we not therefore relate to these words of the psalm? Metaphorically, it can feel as if the earth is quaking and the mountains of our lives are shaking. It's likely that many of us sometimes will face troubles like that. But of course, there are some people who maybe seem to have it good. There are some people who maybe seem to be able to sail through life relatively untouched by these crises. Look at Psalm 73. Uh, the writer of Psalm 73 describes the wealthy, godly people, godless people of his day. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Of what relevance is Psalm 46 to them? Do they need to take refuge in God? And the answer, of course, is absolutely. For the psalm does not just address the crises of life now. It also has an eye on the ultimate crisis, which will confront every person. The cosmic upheaval of, verse 40, uh, of Psalm 46 resonates with the Bible's description of God's end-time judgment. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26, there God forewarns, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Revelation chapter 6, vision of the end of the world, we read, there was a great earthquake, and the stars in the sky fell to earth. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Cosmic upheaval. So terrifying is the scene that people call to the mountains and the rocks in verse 16. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Everybody will one day face that day. And the question is, where will they turn? And where will you turn? So, the first thing we see in the psalm is, the people of the psalm are surrounded by chaos. Their world is literally falling apart around them. But look, secondly, where their confidence is. Again, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. 
when your world is falling apart, it's a wonderful thing to know the living God as your refuge and as your strength, an ever-present help in trouble. That is true security. The psalm, if you like, is an invitation. It's an invitation to all of us to enjoy that refuge of God being our refuge. What does having God as our refuge mean? Well, if you read more widely in the Psalms, it's striking how often this concept of a refuge and God being our refuge comes up, but often it is also then linked to something else. It is linked to the image of God as a rock. Psalm 61 verse 2. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge. Psalm 71 verse 3. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Uh, David wrote many of the Psalms, of course, and he had two periods of his life when he was on the run for his life. And in those times, he hid, he took refuge in rock caves. And the idea is that, it seems to be that of taking refuge in a rock cave. It's a place of security and safety. It offers protection from storms and from enemies. And therefore the rock cave became a picture of refuge. The refuge which God provides to those who flee to him. To those who put their trust in him. To those who put their confidence in him. He is a place of safety. He is a place of security. He is a place of protection. God does not promise those who turn to him an absence of trouble. Rather, as the psalm puts it, he is an ever-present help in trouble. It means, therefore, the Christian still faces storms in his or her life. In some ways, life becomes harder for somebody when they become a Christian. They do now face opposition which they didn't face before they were a Christian. They now have battles to fight which they didn't have to fight before they were a Christian. But Christians are assured of this. In the battles, in the storms of life, there is a real place of safety and security amidst the storms of life. On the northwest seaboard of France is a tiny island called La Germain. And on that tiny island, on the Atlantic side, is a lighthouse. And it faces the fierce fury of the Atlantic rollers. Here is a very famous picture of the lighthouse at uh, La Germaine. And there it is. That, uh, you can just see it there. There's the, the innkeeper in the doorway of the lighthouse amidst the fury of the raging sea. It's quite a shot, isn't it? It's an amazing graphic portrayal of the truth of this Psalm. I mean, it's very much verse 3 territory. Uh, Though its waters roar and, the, and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. It's all there. And in the midst of this raging sea, this lighthouse stands firm, with the lighthouse keeper standing there in the doorway, safe and unharmed. And if we make God our refuge, he will be to us what that lighthouse was for that man. And this doesn't just apply to troubles we face in this present life. 
because the benefits of the refuge <clears throat> is only fully realized on the last day. If we go to the Old Testament book of um, <clears throat> pardon me, Naaman, it pictures the, the Lord coming in the final judgment day, and it says this in verse 5. Uh, the mountains quake before him, and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who, who live in it. Who can stand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? But then it says in verse 7, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. There's a great irony encapsulated in that. On the one hand, the Bible tells us God is the one who we should fear. God is holy. God is righteous. And it means his judgment is not to be treated lightly. But on the other hand, God is not only the one who we should fear. God is the one in whom we should take refuge. And on the last day, the only refuge that will provide any protection from God's judgment is God himself. So what does it mean, making God our refuge? What does that mean practically? Well, it all starts, as you'd expect, with Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. And if it doesn't start with Jesus, we have no refuge, no true refuge. Think about Jesus, the Son of God. What does he do? He leaves the ultimate refuge of heaven and he becomes radically vulnerable to die for our sin. And through faith in his death, we can find welcome and refuge in the arms of the Father. Through his death on the cross, Jesus offers God's forgiveness and God's pardon. And therefore, when we come to Christ in faith, we are taking refuge in the storm of God's wrath. We're taking refuge in God's forgiveness. The Old Testament points to this. You'll be familiar, I'm sure, with those words of Psalm 2, verse 12. Kiss the Son. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Bless, blessed are those who kiss the Son. He alone can provide a place of safety from the storm of the wrath of God. And the New Testament confirms this. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. Jesus is the pivot point. Jesus is the person and the place where God becomes our refuge. And therefore, in Jesus, we need fear no longer. Amidst the chaos of life now, and also in the face of the calamity of the final judgment then, and that translates into a very special benefit, a calmness which counters fear. Uh, firstly, this calmness counters fear in the present. Psalm 46, verse 1 again. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. If God is your refuge, then whatever happens, you know you are safe in his hands. And that is the cure for fear, for anxiety and for worry. And when the world is coming down around us, whether it's in a global sense or in our personal lives, stress can be a real problem, can't it? 
when the pressure's really on at our work or our home, we can find ourselves sometimes at breaking points. We may lose sleep, we may lose weight, we may gain weight, we may get depressed, and it can affect the very foundations of our lives. How do we deal with that? Do we make God our refuge? Because God is the antidote to worry. The psalm again, therefore, we will not fear. This is not escapism. The psalmist is fully aware of what is going on around him. But if we take refuge in God, then we have nothing to fear. We can leave our worries with God. We can cast our cares on God. And we can know that God cares for us. As Neil alluded to when we sang the, the beautiful song, uh, Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer, uh, he put this uh, beautiful psalm to music and we sang it. And Martin Luther knew what it was to be under pressure. Uh, after he posted uh, his 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg's castle in 1517, he himself faced years of trials and persecutions. Uh, he was excommunicated from the Roman church, and he continually faced death threats against his life. Uh, other reformers had been burned at the stake, and he may well, as far as he knew, face that same fate. How did he cope with the pressure? Well, in 1529, he wrote the famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And because his confidence was in God, he found strength and peace in the storms of his life. There were many times when Martin Luther felt overwhelmed in his battle for the truth. But in such times, Luther would say to his friend, Melanchthon, Come, Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm. And the first line of the hymn is inscribed on Luther's tomb in Wittenberg. And that is how to be calm in the storm. Sing the 46th Psalm. Make God your refuge. The reality is that for Christians, like everybody else, we do at times fear, we face fear, and we feel overwhelmed. Each new situation calls us to trust afresh in God as our refuge. Each new situation calls us to knead the yeast of this truth into the dough of our hearts. To sing the 46th Psalm. To again, in a fresh way, apply that truth to that situation to make God our refuge. To, our, to again place our trust in God's providential oversight of our lives. To again be assured God's in control. He knows what he's doing. He has a good plan for my life. And not only does this calmness counter fear in the present, it also wonderfully counters fear in the future and in the face of humanity's greatest foe, death. As many of you will know, uh, this week uh, David Bowie uh, lost his battle with cancer. He was 69 and he leaves his wife, Iman, and his 15-year-old daughter, Alexandria. Uh, Bowie, of course, was a talented and prolific artist right up to the end of his life. In his final months, he released his 25th album, 
called Black Star and produced his latest, his last New York stage show, Lazarus. Uh, some of his latest works actually point to the questions that maybe he was pondering. The director of uh, Bowie's uh, stage show, Lazarus, observed, the first thing that struck me was the existential theme, life and death, and is there life after death? Or can you go on just living in your mind or your imagination? Uh, she also commented, it's deeply connected to death and a person contemplating his own existence. Maybe that play in itself is a window into Bowie's minds in his final weeks and months. And indeed, after seeing Bowie at the New York premiere of Lazarus last December, uh, the director, uh, Ivo Van Ho, made the following comment. I could see the tears behind his eyes because he was not a man to show off his emotions, but he was really in deep fear. Many in our society do fear death. And without Jesus, they have every reason to do so. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26 reminds us, man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. And when that day comes, the little book of calm is not going to be of much help. Uh, when it was revealed that David Bowie had died, his wife, Iman, posted an Instagram post telling fans the following, and I quote, The struggle is real, but so is God. That's what she said. The struggle is real, but so is God. I don't know where David Bowie or his wife, Iman, stand before God, but this comment rings true to what we see in Psalm 46. Life struggles are real, as is the ultimate struggle with death. And we don't deny that. But God is also real. And in Christ, God is a real refuge in times of trouble. And therefore, we need not fear. Shall we pray? Lord, your answer to the chaos and the strife of this world is your Son, Jesus Christ. He will eventually break brokenness. He will eventually kill death. He will eventually destroy destruction. He will eventually swallow every sorrow. Teach us how to take refuge in you, in your forgiveness through Jesus, in your wise will and providential overruling of our lives, and in our assured, glorious, eternal future. We ask this all in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.